As a hater and loser, did you have yourself a very happy Easter? I, I did. I did. Yes. The the hater haterness in me didn't prevent me from having a nice Easter. Yeah. Um. It is very. It it, it was a strong and and well. It, it was a strong presidential uh, presidential pivot that he managed to go this year. Uh, still tweeting under his um, non POTUS account to just wish people a happy Easter, leaving out the haters and losers part. I thought the I thought the pivot came when he launched missiles into Syria. Was that was that not the pivot? Mm-hmm. Because because military strength, you know, him deploying tactically his military. Sorry, right. Uh-huh. Clarification. Uh, emphasis on his. Right. That is the most presidential thing you can do. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Easter Easter was fine. I I spent most of the weekend being sick. It looks like you the the germs have traveled south, and you are now sick. For like the eighth time this uh, this year, it's because we don't um, because we don't have pop filters on our microphones. The germs just come right through. Oh, is this what happens when you reduce net neutrality? <laughs> well, that was that was good. Wow. Sorry, I, we're doing this a half hour earlier than we normally do, so the first thirty minutes of the show is going to be way more, um... <laughs> <laughs> way sharper than usual. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as drowsy. We uh, we've come prepared for the show, unlike the Giants have come prepared for this regular season. I'm man, not a, I mean it's I'm I'm the first to point out that baseball has a ridiculously long 162 game schedule. But I disagree. It, well, we can talk about that separately, but th- we will it's not <laughs> not not an ideal start for the Giants. It's okay. We'll we'll clean it up. We we had a good extra innings win um, last night. We saw Matt Cain kind of return to form a little bit. Like it's, it'll be fine. Oh, I, I like that you're already in um, mid-season royal we form. I appreciate that. Again, I have a personal investment. I, I am a, a key stakeholder in uh, San Francisco Giants Baseball Club Enterprises, whatever the legal name of the company is. Didn't we establish something though that they only win the World Series in years where you physically live in San Francisco? That that was true for two of the years. Oh, and then, was that? And then was, I tried oh. to get, and then I and then I postulated, or sorry, or I proposed that I should get free season tickets to make that happen. And uh, no, nobody from the Giants front office, or is it front office or back office? The front office. Front office. I'm thinking. All right, the half hour thing was was a very liberal estimate. It's it's all over. <laughs> it last lasted uh, about three minutes or so, depending on how much of this we cut out. Yeah. You don't edit this. I, I I refuse to believe you edit for content. That seems like that would take so much work. Okay, you can continue to believe that. Actually, no, I, I lie because you have given me tips in the past of, of when I say something you think is either particularly funny or particularly uh, inappropriate, <laughs> and you will take that out, and I really appreciate it because... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean... You, you, <laughs> no, don't go into it. We're going to move on. No, I, I just, I'll just say generally that... Most of the time, it'll be like in the moment. I'll recognize it. I'm like, eh, that's eh, we'll, we'll we'll probably cut that out, and I'll make a little note of it here in the thing. And then occasionally, I will have either um, I, I I'll, I'll be blunt. I stop paying attention, <laughs> or um, I I've just I've tuned out for one reason or another. And upon going back and listening, I'll, I'll hear a comment and go, oh, we gotta we gotta take that out. Most of those are you, to be honest. I mean, yeah. Again, if we're if we're being honest, yeah. Again, the haters and losers. Um, yeah, I think I made a, I think I made an off com, off color comment about uh, the uh, Moscato 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought about thought about keeping that in, but I think that uh, that ultimately was on the cutting room floor. I don't think it was a, a, an inappropriate comment. I think it's just it, uh, out of context. It could it could ruin my twenty twenty six mayoral uh, candidacy. Oh, yeah. So. I uh, this this is gonna be a Ryan heavy episode, so I have some questions real quick uh, before we get dive into the to the main stuff. Sure, yeah, no, I'm 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 glad that you picked a, a Ryan centric episode as I'm as I'm coming down with like my 18th cold in the last six months. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so we have entered the long interminable period, interminable period called the, the NBA uh, Trump playoffs. presidency? No, no. <clears throat> sorry, what? No, sorry. Actually, I want to clarify. The only thing longer than the Trump presidency are the NBA playoffs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see what you did there. Yeah. So I have some questions here. You're familiar with the Golden State Warriors, right? Uh, vaguely, yeah. They, they, are, they, are, they are a team that actually does pretty well, apparently. Um, they, didn't, they did not win the title last year, though. They did not, no. But um, I've read a ton of things recently about many like top players in the NBA uh, that hate Steph Curry and the Warriors. So can you give me some like insider info or, or like what it would since I don't follow the NBA closely at all? Is this true? Like what is the what is the general opinion of the Warriors right now? Um, it's, so it's this is very similar to what we see in all of the other major sports. So like in football, everybody hates the Patriots. In baseball, everybody hates the Yankees. Hockey, there's I'm trying to think. I guess it would have been perhaps maybe the Red Wings if you go back some number of years, but more recently I guess I can't think of a good example. But the the thing that these teams all have in common, which I think is exactly what's happening with the Warriors, is other teams hate the teams that keep winning. It's it's frustrating. It's demoralizing. These other players, you know, literally live and breathe their sport. And to have a team come in and just thoroughly dominate your league is frustrating. And so, you know, like, I think the the really good example is in the NFL with the Patriots, where um, it's super, super funny, even beyond current players, if you watch like pre or post game shows and if you know these shows, as as we've commented on uh, on the show, because we're getting old now, a lot of these players that are on these shows are are players that played at some point during our lifetime, <laughs> and many of them also continuously say negative things about the Patriots because it's players who have played against them during their careers and lost. Well, and it's justified because they're a bunch of cheaters, and New <laughs> New England footballs kind of the worst right like nobody's saying this kind of stuff about the bills or or the new york jets right but what's different about the bills and jets they don't win exactly because they don't cheat <laughs> so like let's so for some context here this is one quote that uh, that uh, i uh jotted down earlier in the week because it kind of stuck out to me so this is from uh meta world peace i think his name used to be run our test is that accurate that is accurate yeah yeah he um he said uh, regarding the warriors they're too good I hate good teams. I hate teams that are good because that means I'm losing. And I take everything personal as a basketball player. So you have to figure on a way to uh, figure out a way to beat these guys. But the problem is they're a team. They are the true definition of a team and all of these other players, while they're into themselves, the Warriors are into the team. So now you're trying to beat a team who is three years ahead of you. 
The Warriors are years and years ahead of everyone else. So is he like that actually seems pretty deferential and uh to the success that they've had. Do other people feel that way? Like is that what the average NBA fan or maybe some of these superstar players actually feel, or is that just um was that just a nice way of sugarcoating the actual sentiment that kind of exists out there? No, I I think that's saying exactly what I'm saying. Is other teams hate teams that are successful because they're all competitive as hell. I mean, that's how that's how you become a professional athlete. I mean, you have to just be sort of, you know, naturally talented. You have to work really hard, but then you also have to just again be really, really freaking competitive. And if there's this team that's constantly beating you year after year, you're gonna not like them. Have the Warriors had that same level? Like, because I their level of success this year has not been what it was in previous years. They're still number one in the NBA, right? Yeah, they're still they still had the best record in the NBA. But but Durant joining the team didn't actually it wasn't actually like a net negative sort of like the record was worse this year and yeah, but like... that's because they set the single season record in NBA history last year for regular season wins. So of course this year wasn't going to be as good. But I mean they they added another all star player. Sure. But you're you're not you're never gonna have a season like the Warriors had the year before. I guess put another way, do you think the addition of Kevin Durant was a net positive? Oh, 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 of course. But didn't they lose some some key players? Like, didn't isn't like there a continuity loss between seasons because of that? Sure, yeah. I mean, sure. They they lost Harrison Barnes. They lost Andrew Bogut. They they lost some key guys. But I mean, the other thing to think about here too, and you know. I remember this from way back in the day when, you know, the Lakers were a competitive team way back when, <laughs> um, especially during their first championship run. So from 2000 to 2003, you know, by that third regular season where they were going for the three-peat, they were pretty terrible in the regular season. They lost a bunch of games, particularly to some of the poor teams in the league. I mean, they just were not not a very good regular season team. And I think the reality is that teams that are consistently expected to win the championship get bored with the regular season because they know they're going to make the playoffs. They don't even particularly care what seed they end up in. I mean, despite that though, the Warriors were still number one, but a lot of these teams don't care. Like, you know, for example, with the Cavs this year, they, on the last day of the season, had an opportunity to try to get the number one seed in the East, and they sat LeBron James for rest. Like, they just did not did not care at all about getting the number one seed, because home court doesn't really matter to teams like that. So, you know, I, 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 think, these, I think these teams that are really good just don't care as much about the regular season. So I think perhaps if you're looking at just the Warriors' regular season record from this year, it, it can be a little misleading. Yeah, I think last year might have been kind of like a perfect storm for the Warriors. Yeah, that, that's probably not repeatable. No, it, it's cer certainly not. Yeah. And last year, did they end up beating the Bulls like ninety, uh, like mid-90s record for like winning a regular season? They did, yeah. The Bulls were 72-10, and 10, and then the Warriors went 73-9 and 9 the season before last. Or last season, I guess. So does Steph... Uh, try out for the a's or the giants soon is that kind of how <laughs> i think that's how everything that goes, everything yeah. that's old is new again so it has to be right right yeah 
Yeah. And also, uh, this, this doesn't really compute, but I, I'm reading that, uh, Ron Artest quote. Um, it makes it sound like the Warriors are the iPhone. <laughs> or like the way that um, in the initial announcement, uh, Steve Jobs framed the iPhone as it being 10 years ahead of every other phone. Yeah. I mean, so, so you know, for some, for some other perspective, so Steph Curry this year, who in particular, a lot of people looked at and said he sort of had a down, down year. This year, he had the third most number of three-point shots made in a single season in NBA history. And you know why people think he had a down year? Because it was slightly less good than last year? Because he owns the two top spots on that record list. Oh. So, y- y- you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the guy had more three-point shots than anybody else in the history of the league this season, except for himself these past two seasons. So, you know, uh, yeah, keep keep things in perspective, people. And as I look at the score, you know, so we're recording this on April 19th. And they are currently beating the Trailblazers by, what is it here, by 21 points. And Kevin Durant's not even playing tonight because of injury. So they're, they're going to be okay. Yeah. And then to bring it back to baseball, Buster Posey's off the DL. So he's, again, the team's, the team's going to be on an upswing. Yeah, I did, I did, I did see that today. Good to, good to see him back after what happened to him. That was a nasty, nasty accident. Yeah. I think the Giants are probably a personality heavy team. I, th- I I think the key players being there it affects everybody. So and I I think Bumgarner and and uh Posey and Pence are probably integral. So that might have contributed to the to the slump that they find themselves in, but it's it's all right. Since I'm apparently just rattling off a bunch of stats tonight, the other one I saw tonight was so Bumgarner is 0 and 3 now on the season. He's gotten a combined two runs of support in those three starts. It's not. It's not great. Yeah, to bring this. I mean, like if the if the if the software's not there, the hardware can't isn't going to sell. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's it's, you're you're right. I think the this, the the good part of the show lasted about ten minutes or so. <laughs> <That was> good. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a Samsung joke. Come on. Yeah. You try. You tried too hard. Yeah, a little bit. Nah, I'm I'm still fairly proud of that one. Okay, probably gonna cut it out. You <laughs> just no, it's fine. You, if you're gonna shit all over it, then you probably should. Um, no, it's fine. Um, again, I I bring a I bring a robust agenda of activity to the show. So you know what? I don't. Oh yeah, that was that was pretty good. I, I don't I don't need your your yeah. If if you'd help me replace Obamacare, this this all would have worked out. Um, okay. Let's And yeah, you were totally right about the daily this morning. A really good one, right? It was. And one thing that they do really succeed at is is bringing together multiple stories, like in like the same story but multiple perspectives on it. Well, I you know, I was actually was thinking about this today be- because of kind of the format of this episode. I was kind of thinking about just different things that make the daily so great. And I, I, one of them is, it's not the same format every day. Like, it's mostly the same, but they, they, you know, some days they have just a single topic they spend the whole episode on. Other days they've got a couple. Some days they do a few. Like, it, the number of topics vary, which I think keeps the show fresh day in and day out. 
Yeah, it's good. Um, and, and they do a good job of bringing in like, um, like the appropriate reporters and the people who like, that's their job and that's been their beat for years. And the people who are like close to, to the action that bring a special perspective to it rather than just being like, Oh, Hey, tell us about the story you wrote this morning and, and something we could have read anyway. So it feels like something that you're getting something unique by actually listening to it. Right. Like it goes beyond just the headline and kind of the, you know, what, where, when, and why. And it also, also does a really good job of distilling what can be pretty complex topics into, you know, kind of layman speak, things that, you know, you and I can understand. A lot like what we do with uh, technology with this show. Yeah. And it's, and it's not a, it's not a turns out podcast, which I like. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Turns out. Did you see that NPR launched their like daily knockoff? No, I didn't. Yeah. So it's, it's different, but it's kind of the same. Um, it's called Up First. And in like it launched like a week ago, and it seems like it's almost exactly a response to, I and I can't. I'm sure like the New York Times doesn't release numbers, but probably the Daily has to be fairly successful. I would hope so. Yeah, uh, but yeah, NPR launched their own like 15 minute or less uh, daily news analysis podcast, but it's it's not nearly as good. I I can't I can't even acknowledge there are new podcasts out there. I continue to be in such a, a deficit with my current set of shows. Yeah, I had that written down here. Ryan's podcast debt. You're not making any progress on it? No, we're we're making some progress, but these like ninety five minute long episodes of the of the talk show are, are not helping. And he's put out like three episodes in like the last week and a half, which also isn't helping. The thing I think I need to get better at, and maybe you will probably be doing the same. I think sometimes I, I get in a trap of listening to podcasts that are over an hour long that are basically covering all the same content. And I just need to decide which one I want to listen to. Yeah. Cause, yeah. cause there's only so many hours I can listen about the fucking Mac pro. And and, and I, that's a topic I feel very strongly about, but I, I can't, I can't do it. I can't listen to ATP upgrade clockwise, uh, the talk show and then something else that are all discussing the same press briefing about the same four-year-old product. It's, it, there's, can't do there, it. there's definitely that, and I have thought about that. And the other thing, which is fairly talk show specific, but there, there will be large sections of that show that are either on some like old Mac history or on programming or on a topic that I, I just don't really relate to and am, am not particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. And I still listen. <laughs> Um, well, that's that's the best part. It's it's all the current stuff that I want to skip over. But now, like, because that's one thing that Gruber excels at is that he's got the um, he's got like the old time Mac user, and, and he's got the lineage uh, that provides some actual like context, and and that and that's something that I appreciate a lot. Sure, I mean the, the historical stuff, uh, hit or miss depending on how interested I am. But like the programming stuff, like I I don't know what half of the words you know he's using are, but. I, st- I, st- I still tune in, as you would say. Yeah. Um, have you explored this S Town show? Yeah. So the the lady friend and I, because we we listened to um, the first season of Serial together, and then kind of in parallel listened to season two. Um, we've been listening to this one together, and um, I think we're what are we? We're we're two or three episodes in. It's fine. Okay. Like everybody seems to be raving about it, and it doesn't seem to have the same level of um, 
polarization as uh serial did but okay but it's just it's just kind of eh for you um yeah i mean so so far it's not yeah i mean so far it's not really about a a controversial topic i don't really know where it goes but at least so far it, it's it's not political it's not a not really like a murder mystery like the first season of serial was like it's it's not really something that you can i guess really have like polarized opinions about got it but you know like like serial and everything else that comes out of npr you know very well produced um super you know interesting story kind of a story that you really wouldn't think of maybe covering uh, otherwise yeah the only the only thing i will clarify is that um uh, Serial, This American Life, and and um, S Town are not actually produced by NPR. They're their own. Oh, thank you. No, thank thank you. They, you're you're right. They are distributed by NPR, but not produced. Actually, not anymore either. Really? They, uh, because yeah, that was a big deal. Where um, uh, I forget the name of the company that uh, Ira Glass and the This American Life folks have. Uh, they broke away from PRI and, and the NPR affiliation. Like they still syndicate through them. But they're their own deal now, which is, I guess, why oh. they've they've branched off into doing more um, adventurous media. Because actually, it. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, Serial or S Town uh, are actually broadcast on public radio. Huh. You you might be entirely right. I had not <laughs> had not considered that. I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> you you might have been entirely right. <laughs> and then in small like in, in much smaller writing, nobody will ever know. Huh. Well, wait, <laughs> so, let's 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 come back to that. Uh, yeah, to, yeah. So let's let's talk about uh, happier topics or or ha- or or more interesting topics. Um, <laughs> may, may may or may or not be happier. We'll see. No, let's let's talk about Uber because I think it's actually for for a company that for a company that we has had a weird history and and that I've generally been a lot more negative on. This was actually kind of a an interesting week in the sense that it seems like they it wasn't a leak. They they released their own selectedly redacted or disclosed um 2016 financials um to to certain media organizations and you have battled uh unmuted autoplay video to to read it and research it and and you'll you'll give us what what that was about. Yeah. So, the, first of all, before we get into the uh, the meat and potatoes of the story again, as you would say, I, I just have to point out shame shame on Bloomberg Technology. I've I've got two of their links open here in preparation for the show, both of which, upon opening, played an autoplay video with sound that took up like the top two thirds of the browser window. Don't don't do that, Bloomberg. That's terrible. Um, anyway, so to get, in, get into this Uber stuff. So as long-term listeners of the show uh, will certainly know, you know, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, because Uber is not a public company and they, and they don't have to talk about financials and up, up to this point have chosen not to, you know, anything that we talk about in terms of their maybe predatory pricing or anything else that we want to talk about financially related to Uber really is just pure speculation because we just, we just don't know. Um, but they, for the first time, as as Bloomberg has has so um, interestingly put it, have lifted the veil, the financial veil. And I mean, these numbers are t- 
to me, I think a little surprising, probably to you, a little less surprising. Um, and we, maybe we can get into that. Um, I mean, so, and, and they're just, they're just staggering. I mean, they are, they're just so astronomically large that it's, it's, it's somewhat hard to, hard to get your head around. So, um, so for example, I guess let's, let's start with, so that these numbers go through, uh, just 2016. So if we, if we focus on 2016, uh, one of the blurbs here is, so in the last three months of that year, um, gross bookings, which is, you know, revenue before the percentage of drivers is paid was 6.9 billion. So that's the last, um, I'm sorry, these, this last three months of 2016, I, I might've said last three quarters. So that's the last quarter of 2016, 6.9 billion in gross revenue, um, 2.9 in net revenue, meaning that, you know, they paid 4 billion out to drivers. So, okay, so far so good. But what's just, I think, mind-blowing is that for the last quarter of last year, despite that $2.9 billion in net revenue, so again, after paying all the drivers, so they're, they're still left with $2.9 billion in revenue, they lost $991 million. So they essentially, you know, doing some rounding here, they, they spent $3 billion in one quarter outside of what they paid to drivers. I, how how can you how can a company spend that much money in a quarter? I just uh, man, I mean, and I know there there are companies, the, the apples of the world, that that do that, spend that much money as part of their regular business. Like I I, I get that, but my goodness, that 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 is a that's a lot of money to spend in a quarter, and that that's that's the part I'm surprised by. So at that point, what was the yearly loss, or for for the quarters disclosed, what were what was the total loss? Um, well, they, they kind of break out this chart, um, between like Q3, Q4. So, okay. So they say, well, here in 2016, it looks like there's, uh, about 20 billion in gross revenue. Um, yeah, I can't, I guess I can't really get to the 2016 cumulative number easy, but one of the things they talk about here is that, um, since 2009, Uber has burned through at least $8 billion, which is, uh, I, I, man, <laughs> I, I, I just, that's, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's just, that's crazy to me. Like, I, I just, I guess I just, I don't understand how a company like Uber can spend that much money. Like where, where's all that going? So adjusted net losses for 2016 were 2.8 billion, excluding China. So, I mean, it, well, it's obvious. I mean, or it, like there are obvious places where it would go: driver incentives, uh, the, all those free rides, and all the kind of stuff that they do to try to lure people away from other platforms. Um, marketing expenses, it, it, uh, technology costs, all the money they're throwing at their legal expenses. I mean, like there are, are ways to spend the money. So, I mean, like there's. I mean, this is an expensive business where the and, and as we've talked about in the past, where I feel that they uh, their pricing has a lot of predatory tactics built into it. I mean, there are a lot of ways to spend money to to keep those revenue figures up, while there's a lot of things that can detract from that from total profitability. So, but but that's but that's where I, I don't agree with you because 
again, I, they were left with $2.9 billion in revenue after considering the amount they paid to drivers. So it's, it's not, like a, not like a situation where after they paid all their drivers, they only had, you know, $100 million in net revenue or something crazy like that. But you have to think about all the, like, so it's not just, so that's the, whatever the percentage that drivers get paid of, like, excluding their, their cut. So, but there's also promotions that they launch for new drivers that gives them bonuses and that kind of stuff on top of that. So that is excluded from just their fair split. There are, like, the cost of running the business and background, background checks and, and, like, legal affairs. I, I, and, and no, all, like, I get so it. That all, that all I, exists. I, I, no, I, I, 100%, you, you're, you're totally right. But just the fact that that adds up to almost three billion dollars in a quarter—that that's the part that I'm I'm very surprised by. It just does not, to, to me, strikes me as a very inefficient business. Well, well, sure. I mean, yeah, the, the, uh, and not to to move too too far into a different topic, but the Uber pool thing is also weird. From a reporting perspective, and, and however the hell they're, they're well, yeah, that. They, they gets into they report that gross versus <clears throat> everything else they report net. I I don't entirely understand that either, but that I mean that that doesn't really impact free cash flow or non gap numbers. So that that doesn't that doesn't particularly speak to any health in the business. I don't think, but um. I mean, whether you're looking at these numbers gross or net, it, it's just uh, it's it's just it's just very surprising that it takes that much capital to run this business. Well, I mean, and if you also look at the gross bookings over time, where you see that this astronomical growth to 2016 of almost like whatever, like 19 billion um, for the entire year, like that's, it's interesting that it seems like it's a business that doesn't necessarily scale and the costs don't become more manageable as your your rider base or or your whatever you want to call them, like your client base grows that the that the losses and the inefficiency in the business model just compound on itself and and it doesn't actually help that revenues are growing so much well so the the, the bloomberg article does point out that revenue growth is outpacing the growth in in losses it's kind of hard to even say that with a straight face, but so there, there, there is leverage in the business, but not enough. But not enough, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, in our hypothetical scenario, it's conversations rather over the years, I think a lot of the maybe the financial doubt that we've raised has come about from you know really what are they left with after they after they pay drivers like certainly it seems like because of how low fares are presumably after the driver gets their share there's just not going to be a lot left over but i mean just last quarter alone there was 2.9 million dollars left over and they still found a way to burn through that and an additional billion yeah which is and you know and so they're they're getting squeezed on both sides here where you know drivers consistently point out how little they get paid and by all accounts it, the money on their side isn't isn't all that great and then they're getting squeezed on the other side with even after paying drivers these really low rates they're still not anywhere close to being profitable so that that seems like a a losing combination 
Well, so, th- so that's the next logical point to take this with where um, I've seen multiple reports and like where senior leadership are, are saying that like the viability and the advantage, the first mover advantage that Uber's had of being the dominant player in many markets in this new ride sharing slash transportation disruptor business, whatever, the, whatever you want to classify this company as that like that first mover advantage and, and them dominating this industry, it all like them becoming profitable and being a powerful company all depends on them being the first company that um, cracks the, the self-driving car problem that solves the, the labor cost issue. So, so what happens there? Like, is all of this for naught? Like what's like, what happens? I mean, I think a lot of this probably highlights why Uber is so fascinated in self-driving cars. Because, you know, all of a sudden, if they can eliminate a big chunk of that $4 billion that they paid out to drivers in Q4 of last year, then all of a sudden, the margin in the business is very healthy. Like, they, they have to fix the equation at some point in time. And, and certainly, if, if they can manage their costs and they can, and if, if the labor component goes away, I mean, that, that will drive down prices some. But it won't mean that, like, yeah, it, it'll work out much more favorably for them. But what happens if they're not first? Not first to something like self-driving? Yes. Then, yeah, then I think that's probably an issue. And not not that we are investment bankers or anything, but, like, do you think that, like, them put, like, delaying going public where that becomes a more, um, them not succeeding at self-driving cars becomes a more realistic um possibility like do you think they're they're missing they're missing missing any possibility of like that big payday uh may, i mean maybe uh, it, it's hard hard to say the the future of self-driving i think is so uncertain right now it's it's just it's 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 tough to say not uncertain in the sense that it i mean it's, it's going to happen and it's going to happen reasonably quickly i think but Ooh, the, that's a good pivot the way that it's going to play out is anybody's guess. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you're much more optimistic on the self-driving thing than you were before. Well, yeah, you know. What changed? Um, well, I don't I don't think my faith in the technology's ever wavered. Or I think um, your your um optimism of how quickly it would happen. Maybe you're getting more optimistic on that. I'm I'm getting I'm getting closer to taking delivery of my Model Three. Oh my god! All right, no, I, I that doesn't have anything to do with it. I yeah, the Tesla valuation thing bugs me a lot. Well, how why why so? Because I don't see again them being first. Like it's the same thing with Uber. Like like them being first and and being slightly dominant in this like much smaller business like i don't see how uh ford and gm and other people can't catch up insanely quickly like the the fact that they are worth more than companies that ship like 50 times as many or like we're sorry actually way more than that like so like so x so many more cars than they do yet the fact that they're first at making a luxury variant of some type of car like a Tesla isn't going to be that successful, right? So I, you know, I, I will 
say this. So I, I have never, I've never invested in Tesla, but mostly because I've been a bit more skeptical than most on their long-term future. So I, I'm, I'm with you here mostly. Um, but just to, you know, continue to play the devil's advocate as I've been wont to do late recently on the show. I I think one of the things you might be undervaluing here is, I mean, think about with the model three, they had over, I mean, what was it? Over 300,000 people pre-order that thing. And, and granted they're, but it's a full, refundable fully, deposit. Sure. Sure. So we'll have to see how that plays out, but it, let's, let's make the big assumption. And it is a big assumption that, you know, a overwhelming majority of those people actually follow through with their order. They got, you know, over a quarter quarter billion quarter million people to pre-order a car without ever even physically seeing it in person. And there's there's no no other car manufacturer on the on the planet and really almost no other manufacturer outside of like Apple, I mean literally, where people would pre-order a product in those kinds of numbers without ever even seeing it. So I, I think there's there's a lot to be said there. Maybe, but I mean to put that in perspective, like Ford sold 1.3 million cars in 2016 just to China. Like I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I just, I struggle to see where the other companies can't. Because cars are just not, they're not like phones or the thing where you're like, oh, the PC guys are just not going to walk in. Like, I, I just, I don't see where the, um, like the manufacturing advantages that, that a, a larger automaker has. Like, I, I just think, I think that's something that a lot of people can't discount. And, and that, and that Tesla sure is a pioneer and, and like the, there's a lot of positive things you can say about it. I just don't see where them being first especially with all the um reliability issues that the model s has had or like i just i just don't see where that that necessarily is worth uh how valuable the company stock has become well i guess i sort of um i'm bearish for more of a of a different reason which is i and maybe maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I just don't think that sticking a bunch of laptop batteries on the bottom of a car is is the long term kind of post gasoline future for cars. I mean, it certainly is now. Like in the kind of immediate horizon, it, it seems like electric cars are going to be what's next. But if I think longer term, if I if I had to to bet on it i would say that batteries and and cars like the tesla are more of an intermediate step to something else and i don't i don't know if that something else is a fuel cell or 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 something entirely different that isn't really even thought of currently i i don't know but i i just i just don't i just don't know i i just i just have a hard time believing that Again, literally, like a, just a bunch of laptop batteries on the bottom of a car is the end game. Yeah, I think I think that's that's difficult. But I think the thing that makes that trickier or is more um, favorable to the battery powered electric car is the fact that, like, so Toyota has this new model called the Mirai, which is one of the first um, hydrogen uh, fuel cell uh, cars available in uh, the Western United States. 
and it's not efficient at all. So it it uh, so even though on an emissions basis it's way better than most other automobiles, um, like the energy conversion um like equation is just not very good. No, I I, I get it. I I think today and and for the kind of immediate future elect electric cars like a tesla is the best alternative we have to traditional gas powered cars full stop no question but i what i'm a little more skeptical of is that that's going to remain true for a long period of time it just feel it just feels like there's got to be something better yeah, I agree, and and I assume that, like that is one thing. Like that, there's there's always been that pipe dream of the solar car, um, and that and that probably we probably won't see efficient. Like I'm I, I'm not a scientist, I have no idea, but it seems like that's a, a, like unlikely for a very long time. But it, yeah, it's it's super tricky to to project or to to predict. But that's where you know I, I think that's where maybe to, to to flip this around. That that's where Tesla is interesting. Is that if if they if they recognize that and if they're if they continue to constantly innovate and if they kind of you know in a lot of ways do you know what what apple's done where the, you know they're they're not afraid to cannibalize sales of some of their existing products as long as they come along with the thing that's going to cannibalize sales of said product you know they don't care about killing off the ipod because they invented the iphone so so what 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 is tesla's ipod nano yeah <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Well, actually, let's let's take that type of thought and apply it towards different companies. So, like, so Apple. There's been a lot. Like, so if we go beyond the whole like Mac Pro stories that everybody's been talking about for a long time, like, there's been more written about this week of kind of like what, where the iPhone fits into Apple's like whole story and and where that what that means for like their overall focus and health as a company. So earlier today, or maybe yesterday you'd, you'd link to, you, you show me an article about um, John Gruber talking about somebody else's uh, thoughts about Apple's Achilles heel and like what, what their blind spot and like what, what, what might be the downfall of the company is. And I think the person in that article is arguing that the, um, that Apple's commitment to the Mac and other things that take away from their attention to the product that makes up seventy percent of their revenues is is a problematic point. And I and then if I'm not wrong, uh, Gruber countered saying that no, actually the iPhone is causing the company to to not pay enough attention to the Mac, which could be problematic going forward. So, like, where do you think this falls? I I think I tend to agree with Gruber here. Um. So yeah, so your I mean, your your summary was exactly on point. Where the initial article that he's pointing to by Neil Seibert, Kybert, um, is is making the argument that the the Mac and specifically you know Apple's new focus on the Mac Pro is is really what's um, holding it back or has turned into Apple's Achilles heel from um, being able to develop more innovative products. And you know Gruber counters with that by saying. You know, in the grand scheme of things, the Mac is still, you know, has has not seemingly shifted a lot of attention from other products. I mean, you can even look at things like the Mac Pro and see that it hasn't been updated in years and clearly isn't really taking away all that much attention within the company. 
but there's no doubt that the the iPhone is what takes up the lion's share of resources. And what's dangerous about that is that the iPhone, again, much like what we were just talking about with Tesla, sure, it, it might be what's what's best out there for today and for the foreseeable future, but that's that's not always going to be true. So if, if Apple is kind of solely focused on the iPhone, that's that's going to prevent them from coming up with, you know, what, what comes after the iPhone. Yeah, yeah I like... For me, again, as like as somebody who really values their iPhone, but has been increasingly frustrated and angry about the um, about the lack of attention for the Mac, like in somebody who has argued perhaps hyperbolically about the moral obligation that Apple has towards committing themselves to making the best computers they can, like yeah, I mean, I, I think the all-consuming uh, attention that the iPhone, because it is inc- an incredibly large part of their business and and the most visible and um successful product that they have like it it is really challenging but i think and i and i do think that the the company does pay too much attention to it like we we can all knock it and complain that the that the software isn't what it used to be and and maybe things are still rough around the edges in a lot of ways but the, like apple has the iphone pretty much down pat like they Perhaps they've underestimated the the demand for the SE, and they were late to the game on on big phones. But overall, the iPhone they they have found a way to pump uh, forty to fifty million units into the market every single quarter for like the past like six years. Like they 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 get it. But I do think that that single product success is what leads to underwhelming products like every iPad made in the past three years or uh, Macs that don't get updated for four years at a time or potentially that like uh, Apple not um, maybe not focusing on what will um, keep them successful and what the next big product will be. So yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I do. I do agree with John where the, the an iPhone centric company is it means they're managing by balance sheet and, and, and focusing their resources based on what is currently bringing in the most money where potentially the the vision and the dedication to perhaps less profitable um, product segments is is problematic. Wow, so a a, a Mac related topic that we agree on. Yeah, let's mark this day down in history. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. Again, you still disagree on the moral obligation thing, but I do. <laughs> Who? What are they going to write the software with? With their Apple Pencil. Yeah, but there's still no Xcode for iPads, and then there never will be because well, they're, they're probably Swift Swift Playground that that'll, that can do it. But you can't spit out an iPhone app, can you? I know. Like there, there's no, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm I, kidding. I can't tell if you're trolling or not. <laughs> it's difficult. So it's on that note. So so it's supposed to be a big year for the iPhone, allegedly. Like I mean, so we're on the third year of the iPhone six design, the iPhone seven uh the the courageous iPhone 7 as it'll go down in history like this is supposed to be the year allegedly apple hasn't said this but everybody else has and unfortunately they don't you don't always get to shape the narrative so the 10th anniversary iPhone like what what is what is it going to be cuz i personally like i'm i'm checking out from like the rumors game with this year cuz like there there's too much volatility like i i don't i don't have anything to contribute here so what what do you think 
Well, so we're entering that time of year. It's become fairly predictable the last few years where kind of in this early spring period, we 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 had heard a bunch of rumors, you know, maybe in the, the late late previous calendar year and earlier part of the current calendar year, and now they sort of start to solidify a little bit this this time of the year. And I think what's what's become pretty clear is that we'll see three new iPhones um in the fall. We'll see updates for the two current phones. So essentially we'll see the iPhone like 7S and 7S Plus. And then there'll be this third phone that's going to be an anniversary edition or a pro or whatever we end up calling it, some premium iPhone. And there there are some things that we know about that that top tier phone with you know kind of like an edge to edge display, um, maybe more premium like stainless steel materials, better camera. There are some things that seem to be kind of universally accepted, but then to to your point in teeing this off, that's sort of where the waters get a lot murkier than they've been the last previous you know the last handful of years where almost everything about the phone is sort of solidified around this time of year but there's still a lot of uncertainty around this this premium iPhone um and you know specifically this week what a lot of people are talking about or what there seems to be a lot of questions around is Apple's ability to integrate touch ID into the screen because if there's going to be an edge to edge display there's no longer going to be the chin for the home button and touch ID to live um, and then, and the other thing is availability with the idea that maybe this premium iPhone won't become available until at some point after the kind of the 7S and 7S plus. And I mean, I, I want to hear your take on it, but I guess my quick take is I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy the idea that Apple's going to either get rid of touch ID or put it on the back and I also don't buy the idea that this <clears throat> premium iPhone is going to come out later than the other ones. Like, I mean, maybe those things end up happening, but they both they both seem incredibly weird to me. Yeah. So, so again, officially, uh, like after this episode, I, I am checking out of the rumor game, but or the predictions game. But uh, first off, I, I don't. There's no way it's the 7S and the 7S Plus because that means there's no way they're keeping the iPhone 6 design for four years. Like, because they're not going to leave the name the same if if it's going to be a redesigned phone. And again, I, even even for a company as conservative now, which is not something I would have said about Apple in the past, like it it, it that won't be the way. So it's going to be an iPhone 8 or whatever, and then and then they might have this weird second phone, like which I think would be not good if it was named the the iphone pro because that's because a phone is not the product where you can try to build some case where this this is the the phone for professionals Every, everybody can be a professional because like are you a professional selfie taker or are you a professional music listener like that that's not there's no productivity argument to be made here but so there's there's gonna be the iphone 8 if there is this high-end phone that uses oled displays and has something similar to samsung's like infinity display and that kind of stuff like when 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 the rumors have been saying that it might ship later, does that mean it gets announced alongside the iPhone eight and is not available immediately, or they release the iPhone eight and then the the iPhone Pro or the iPhone um, eight 
uh, super special cube edition comes out like two months later like does it get announced and it's delayed or does it get announced later the gruber's or not gruber german's article um indicates that they'll all be announced together but that the high-end phone won't be available until later on but then that like well actually no i, I can't say like in, in the past apple has been a company that does not pre-announce and unless they have something that is just so like there's no way to can't um like there's no peer where it doesn't matter that they pre-announce it. So the stuff like the watch and the initial iPhone release, like that's where that made sense. But like, I I just modern Apple, like I I don't see them uh, pre-announcing something two months early. No, when I, and I and I don't, and I I mean, how would they avoid the narrative of okay, we're going to announce these three phones? You know, the shittier ones are available today, but if you want the nice. <laughs> <laughs> this, a phone that's going to retail for $650, I don't think you get to call shit. I, I describe this in a bit of jest, but you know what I mean. You know, here's the entry-level phones are available today, but if you want the premium one, you got to wait. Like, I, that that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, first, like, at least in developed markets, that's going to depress sales of whatever the high-end-ish 8 plus or like the, like the whatever the... Like it's like the 128 iPhone 8, like it's all it's all going to slot in at the same price point. It's still going to be seven hundred fifty dollars, like eight seventy if it's the eight plus. So, if there is allegedly this funky thousand dollar, like Jesus, like a, a megaphone or like whatever, like I mean, that's just it's so strange and so like I don't I I don't know what's going to happen. That's where like again, like I I mentioned this and joking in in the chat, but like this whole. Uh, like prediction situations it's like brexit times 50 like just what is there's too much variability uh, around the expectations of what's going to replace this overdue redesign and these rumors that there's going to be this hyper premium phone that just costs an ungodly amount of money i guess like, though it, it's too that, hard man that's but that's the, that's the last thing i wanted to touch on here is i'm skeptical of the uncertainty Meaning, you know, everything we know about the iPhone is that design decisions and release dates and those types of things are determined way, way in advance, particularly particularly the design piece. I, I, iPhone designs get locked down very far ahead of time. I find it hard to believe that Apple is still grappling with where to put Touch ID when we're, you know five months away from five maybe six months away from this thing coming out that that doesn't ring true to me at all well it's gonna go on the back like lg pioneered like because that's the only place it can fit like i i, I want to again samsung beat apple to the market on the on the edge to edge display and and i want to believe that apple's like this still this crazy pioneer but i i i don't think the technology is there where a, a reliable fast Touch ID sensor lives reliably behind a really thin OLED Retina display. I I I would love to be surprised, but I don't think the technology is there. Yeah, I mean, I I have no idea, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if to me it feels like a lot of this speculation is probably coming from outdated information, and that a lot this this Touch ID thing and release date and all that like that stuff's probably already locked down and we're just sort of on some type of delayed cycle here yeah perhaps 
but I mean, but maybe I don't know. Apple can't. Apple supply chain has been been weird. So who, who even knows? They still can't even manage to ship AirPods. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that's a reasonable example. But I, I so that I mean something like that I would buy. Like if if perhaps you know the announcement happens, I could very easily see a case where. I guess to use your naming conventions, you know, the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus are fairly widely available, but then, you know, the iPhone Super or whatever that this thing ends up being called is harder to get. I I, I could see that, but to to be entirely unavailable doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And then and then the you know the the last thing I'll say about the Touch ID thing is Again, I I don't know enough about the the tech that drives this stuff, but if I had to, if I again had to bet on it, I'd say they they've figured out a way to embed it in the screen, because putting it on the back is just objectively worse. So I, I just don't think there's any way they they'd be able to spin that. the the only The only alternative would be if they've come up with some other method of unlocking the phone. But well, no, I, I I envision Phil Schiller on stage saying that it, because we've made this beautiful screen that packs such a, the size of an iPhone Seven Plus and the size of an iPhone Seven frame, we've we've had to we've had to rethink the entire phone. And Johnny realized that when you hold the phone naturally, that your index finger rests perfectly balanced on the back of the phone, and that's exactly where the Touch ID sensor is. Like they're gonna make some big bullshit argument that this is how it should have been the whole time. Maybe, but I, that seems like a tough sell. Yeah, maybe. You want to do a, do a gentleman's wager? Yeah, we we can figure out something offline. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I think every year we end up almost betting on something iPhone related and then never actually do it. Okay, there's got to be accountability. The listeners have to know. All right. So it's it's going to be a weird year. Oh, or sorry, a weird, a weird iPhone. Well, it's been a weird year. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, every everything else has been weird this year. Why not? So why no, not every, have the iPhone jump in? Sorry, no, that? it's it's just the iPhone. Every, everything's been fucking peachy so far. <laughs> well, it's more 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 orange than peachy. It's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right ah good job you, you get your you get your first show title in 10 episodes nice proud of you thank you um <laughs> all right <clears throat> uh briefly let me let me find the, the picture here okay uh before we um dive into better call Saul, because that is back uh, we we touched upon this last week, where I it was either I forget if it was me or you was contending that app that Amazon is doing way too much, and then as I was shopping for something on Amazon, I think I found that their homepage encapsulates perfectly exactly what makes zero sense about what they do. So I think I sent this to you, where it, it's a screenshot of uh, recommendations for me, which is a bunch of internet light bulbs, which which is pretty spot on. Good good job algorithms. But then it also shows uh, this random advertisement for the new John Mayer album on Amazon Music, uh, something called Patriot on Amazon Prime Video, and then a 91% lean single cow burger uh, on Amazon Fresh. And this is all within like um, 
one third of a browser window. So like does Am like does Amazon have a messaging problem? Or do you think just throwing all these entirely separate businesses under the same name and umbrella on the same homepage makes total sense? I think it makes total sense. I think I think Amazon is as close as perhaps anybody's ever gonna come to being the single brand you think of for, for literally everything. Like the the only sort of analogy that doesn't really work but kind of works, I think, is Costco. Where Costco, both in their retail stores, kind of like sells everything. It's sort of is a random hodgepodge of groceries and gadgets and clothes and and but then, you know, on top of that, there's like Costco travel, there's you know, I, I think you can buy like I think I think you can literally buy like funeral services and like coffins from Costco. You can get like HVAC units. I mean, they 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 sort of just like they're they're involved with everything, not on the scale that Amazon is. But, but there's no there's no com there's no Costco uh, movie studios right next to the co- uh, to the to the Costco caskets. Well, and and that's and that's that's what I'm saying is that Costco is is like Amazon Mini in that regard. But it's it's a similar idea where you sort of associate the Costco brand with a lot of different types of things. And I mean, I can only speak for my personal view, but I, I think I think that's great. Like I love being able to go to Costco and knocking off, you know, a handful of things from the shopping list in OmniFocus. Like I think that's that's a that's a huge benefit as a customer. And that's the number one reason I love Amazon is that I'm able to basically do that what I've done with Costco in the past, but now just do it all online. And if I get streaming video and all this other stuff on top of that, you know, that's great as a consumer and I I don't think I don't think anything at Amazon has suffered as a result of expanding into these new businesses. I mean, Amazon Prime so while the, the streaming video and music and all this other stuff and and the Kindles over the years like as all this stuff has expanded their core prime delivery service has gotten better. I mean, I can freaking get 2-hour delivery in most cases or in a lot of cases now, which I could obviously couldn't do a handful of years ago. And 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 I think a lot of the delivery stuff that I think you're thinking about is is the fault of uh, on track and all that crap. But that's but okay, well so like there's like there's like four things four things there. But like no, like so the delivery has gotten better in certain ways, but in a lot of ways it's gotten worse. And that's based off Amazon trying to to eliminate costs out of their business that maybe is funding this other stuff. So the uh offloading so much of this to Amazon's in-house logistics company to on track to the USPS instead of using shipping companies that work like that. That's, that's tricky stuff. And I mean, I don't know, but like, but I guess my main point, I'm not saying necessarily that the Amazon, um, like general retail online retail experience that people most, uh, identify them with is, is suffering more so that I think the other things might do better if they weren't under that same, like if there was more separation from the traditional Amazon branding. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about last week, where you just like, you see Amazon spending so much on original content, but like, because it, like when you think Amazon, you think uh, online retail that you're just like, is this where I'm going to 
uh, go discover Emmy Award winning original content, like that still hasn't stuck for me. And that's where their investment doesn't doesn't jive with what what me as uh, what myself as a media consumer experiences. Yeah, but I I don't know if we're the best examples or the best best kind of measuring sticks for that. Like we like we talked about last episode. Yeah. And also, this is the first time I've ever heard of a single cow burger as a concept. <laughs> have you have you heard of this? No. Yeah, I don't know. I did grass, just see grass fed is is not the 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 criteria anymore. Right. I did I did see that link that Darth posted today though the fifteen top burgers in San Francisco and it it did make me really want a burger. Yeah, but uh, yeah, well, well, we could talk about this. But well, well, actually, real quick, what is your what is your read on like all these? Like fancy pants burgers that have eggs on them and they're and are too big. Not a fan. It's it's why I don't really particularly care for um, umami. It's it's yeah. too it's too it's too fussy for me. And I I don't I I quite enjoy you know nice dinners from time to time. But but they're ruining a they're ruining a product that works. Yeah, but with a, with a burger, you know, I don't I don't generally need anything very fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. Do you want to talk about what everybody came here for? Right, let's let's do it. Better Call Saul is back. It is back. Yes. So first, first I do I do have to give credit and and remind people about the. Do you do you have a, a name for your like mid season catch up thing? I really should come up with one, shouldn't I? I'm not very I'm not very good. That's why you do the you do like the show descriptions and stuff. I'm not very I'm not very creative with that stuff. Like it's like Dan Benjamin, like the thing, like well, like John Syracuse, uh, coined follow up, and we'll talk about that next week. But um, like in John, uh, or sorry, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Dan Benjamin has the like the bacon method. Like like you you need a punchy name for your really, uh, sound strategy of how to catch up on TV, because like when AMC does this, um, uh, like there's generally like nine months, nine to twelve months in between seasons of the original programs. I, yeah, I think that's about right. So you have a strategy of like just, I mean, uh, as we we grow old and our brains aren't what they used to be, like it, you forget what happened, and and rather than just watching the ninety second, here's what you need to know from from last season, you have a policy of um, you rewatch the two last episodes of the season prior to get yourself caught up, so that way you can fully enjoy the new episodes coming out. And so I, I actually, so I have a slight addendum to the, the, the method, which, which I added for Better Call Saul here, which is I'll go to the Wikipedia page mm-hmm. for the show. And, and more often than not for a show, there will be a nice little paragraph summary of each episode. So for Better Call Saul, there was. So I went through and read each of those for, for all episodes of last season and then watched the last two episodes. And then really did feel like I was right up to speed. And it really came in in handy this time around because season three of Better Call Saul like literally picked up seconds after season two. Yeah, yeah, it's a good strategy. I I checked out and only watched uh, the season finale, but I think that actually was was good enough that 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 jogged my memory enough to to keep me. But but for the for the novice or for the person going into it, like I think. you know, like the the textbook um, case study here should should be that watching two full episodes and and maybe thrown in some Wikipedia. No, that's that's a good point. 
So like, and, and spoiler alert, you can uh, uh, stop listening. Um, you're only going to miss out on picks of the week uh, after this, but uh, we're, we're going to be talking about what happened last year and we're going to stay current with what has happened for the first two episodes of this season. So if you have not been watching it, uh, shame on you. And if you want to watch it in five years, you should remedy that situation on your own. Yes. So last season ended up with uh, Jimmy being conf- uh, kind of self-confronting. Like, I don't know, he he put himself in the situation of uh, confessing what he did to um, his brother, um, the the manipulation of the documents that cost him a large account that he did to benefit um, his legal partner slash sometimes love interest Kim. And that's kind of where we end up. And then we find out that, um, what is his brother's name? Chuck. Chuck. Um, so you, you would have known that if you watched the last two episodes. Just, I know just, what it is. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, so, so he had recorded it fighting through his electricity sensitivity. What I, I forgot the technical term or made up technical term is with that, but mm-hmm. He uh he he recorded it and we're still even after two episodes um trying to figure out what is his end game. Well, or actually, did we find out what the end game was last episode? Was that it? Yeah. So the yeah. So ultimately, you know what Howard, who's Chuck's law partner at the HHM, I think is their firm. What he points out, which is something I guess I kind of knew but didn't really think much about after the season finale last season is generally audio recordings like that are you know either completely inadmissible in court or they can generally be enough doubt can be put around them where they are are not very effective which is exactly what howard brings up and so you know chuck rebuttals with well that's not really what i'm after here like i knew that and it turns out that what he what he did was he um, allowed Ernie, who's sort of his assistant, to kind of in air quotes accidentally hear part of the tape, counting on Ernie then running to Jimmy and then having Jimmy get super upset and then basically come back and try to retrieve the tape while other people were present. Specifically, they had hired a private investigator who was, I guess, sort of like living full time with Chuck counting on jimmy showing up at some point and sure enough yeah at the end of episode two that's that's exactly what happens so it's pretty good because you, you always you always like to see well i, I mean again we're, we're rooting for jimmy here but like you always kind of like to see a successful long con um and and, th- and that was pretty effective because what what jimmy did was pr- was pretty i mean it, it, it was pretty awful but you you also do have to keep in in perspective kind of the family dynamic and the position that um chuck has put him in in the past but um yeah it it, it was good it was a good payoff um and, and it was it was interesting to see um but then the other big part of this whole episode was the um uh the mike uh side plot of kind of how we get introduced to gus fring and how the los pollos hermanos and like the whole breaking bad type storyline and how that transition comes into play and we, we saw a, a healthy amount of payoff in that in episode two 
Well, so I, so yeah, so to, to briefly recap here, so Mike at the end of last season was planning on um, assassinating. Um, I can't. I can't think of is what, what's what's the kind of the, the kingpin's name. Tio. Is it Tio? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, but he ends up um, not going through with it. And kind of while he decided not to go through or was kind of unable to get a good shot, um, the, his car horn goes off, which then kind of further distracts him and he has to run to address that. And there's a little note on the car that just says don't. And so he spends these first couple of episodes investigating um, kind of who who ultimately ended up actually bugging his car because that, that's what ended up happening. And that, that whole sequence was was pretty pretty neat, um, and then yeah, it, it ends up leading Mike to uh, Gus. But that actually brings me to sort of my my chief complaint about the show. Like I, I think the biggest mistake the show's made so far is the fact that Gus was returning to the show in this season was widely publicized there was really zero chance of you not seeing that like even if you were someone who was pretty careful about spoilers there'd be almost no way for you to avoid that in fact in the little you know five second tease that they always do at the beginning of each episode amc kind of does it on all their shows they even like they announced before episode two that hey this is the episode gus is coming back so even if you had somehow made it all this way without knowing you would have been spoiled minutes before the episode started. Like, why Why give that away? That would have been such a cool reveal. Like, that first shot where they show the Los Poyos Hermanos sign. Like, if you really didn't know that was coming, that would have been super cool. But because we knew it was coming, it was like, uh, all right, whatever. Yeah, I mean, so that's part of why I've completely cut out the whole watching the previews or any of that kind of stuff. And I've actually been less into reading about television shows I like. But yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those things where you know it's going to happen eventually, where, I mean, like, just those stories have to intersect at some point anyway. Otherwise, like, you just don't know when Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman. So, I mean, it it, it was going to happen. But yeah, it it that's where I think the people who, like, binge watch or, or watch a show after it's done, like, they get to experience maybe, like, a purer form of, of the entertainment. But, um... Yeah, like it was good. The only thing though, like that I felt was that the Gus Fring introduction was like very is maybe too direct. Like I don't know, it just I don't know. There was like very like he he's more of like oh he's always been like maybe that's just the Breaking Bad um, storylines, but he was always like more of like a shadowy figure where it just seems like he's way too out in the open right now, and you kind of are just not sure of like how like when super smart contemplative and and 10 steps ahead Gus Fring comes out and and kind of where like just where this whole all the chips lie well I I don't know he 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 was clearly I mean he how did he even know what Mike was up to like how did he how did he even become aware of Mike I mean clearly he's pretty plugged in even at this point but but do we know that that the tracking is specifically related to to Gus Fring, or do we know that it's maybe just one of Gus Fring's associates and it just happens to overlap? Because I'm not sure that's clear yet. Maybe, but I, we, at least I, I think that it, it's being led by Gus. 
that that's that's my read on it well is so do we know what the well specifically why do we think he's uh who so what what to what degree do we know that the Poitos hermanos and um Tio and that whole crime family are are linked yet like in this particular show how much of that has been talked about none I mean none. so I think that's where it's there's it's still very plausible that because in breaking bad Mike is the cleaner for Gus Fring's criminal organization, right? Right. That, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, so that means it's not necessarily an adversarial relationship. So maybe, like, yeah, I'm not entirely convinced or clear that um, that that it's Gus that's trying to antagonize or, or, or track him. I think that maybe that leads him there, and then that's where that relationship develops. So I, th- I think I'm sure that's going to get fleshed out, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold yet that Gus is the one tracking him. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it could be that, I mean, this, this show takes place a number of years before the events of breaking bad. So it's also possible that this is sort of Gus in his early years while he's still maybe getting up to speed on everything. And he doesn't really become the, you know, expert, I guess, for lack of a better word that he is in, in breaking bad. Well, sure. But, but it's implied that he's already, like that the drug manufacturing business is already happening because we we've seen like was a very quick drop uh with somebody sure but i mean maybe he's maybe he's already good but he you know kind of becomes great at what he does in uh in breaking bad but i i I don't know i i thought that whole thing would have been super super cool if i didn't know it was coming because i i don't think i would have guessed that you know, because they they drag out sort of Mike's investigation into figuring out who bugged him for most of these first two episodes, and I, you know, it ultimately pays off by leading him to Los Pollos Hermanos, and I wouldn't, I don't think I would have seen that coming if if it wasn't you know sort of explicitly told that that's that's where this was going. I don't think I would have really thought much about Gus, but oh well, yeah. I don't know. I, I still found it enjoyable, but yeah, the, it it would be very nice if if the, the creative process and like and the, all that was like just happened in a vacuum, and then you just got because like it's it's a business and you have to market it. And when you yeah, when you but, have... it, but it struck. I guess it struck me as being too insecure. I mean, better Better Call Saul is a universally praised show, and I, I think the ratings have done well. Like there, I just there just really wasn't any, I guess, need to show their hand maybe yeah again i think just the medium like just cable tv and that kind of stuff is super competitive right now and i think they need every advantage they can get maybe yeah uh so so what else happens i mean so so kim is still like kind of awkwardly towing the line between being because i mean she's not like complicit but like but she she was the prime beneficiary of jimmy's actions so therefore she's still like doing recon and trying to figure out like what what um the recording uh does to him and what it what affects him i mean that all gets that whole thing gets turned on its head when he implicates himself in front of two witnesses but like i mean so her her storyline is still very very interesting um I don't know. It's 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 good all around. I'm 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 optimistic about this season. I was a little wary after episode one, but I th- but I think I think it's gonna be good. Well, I think that <clears throat> I think that continues to be one of the compelling things about the show is 
we're being introduced to a ton of different characters, including like Chuck, Kim, etc., who are not in Breaking Bad. So clearly something's going to happen with them or between them and Saul between the events of this show and, 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 and Breaking Bad. And then I think the tension of that is, is one of the things that really makes the show interesting. Yeah. And, and I like, I mean, that, that's gonna be the big thing is, is when, when does that switch get flipped? Because I assume there's still probably a good, like two or three seasons that happen after Jimmy McGill becomes Saul Goodman. And I think actually based on the introduction of when, um, or based on the introduction of Gus Fring, I think that's probably going to happen sooner than I thought it would have. But I assume once that happens and he changes his name and all that kind of stuff, I assume that's basically like what happens is that, um, is that Chuck and HHM are basically give him an ultimatum and and they're just going to ruin him. And therefore like his name is, is worthless. And that's why he has to like just abandon his family and just go out on his own and, and just kind of remake his identity. And he, since he thrives on maybe like the sleazier or less um, wholesome aspects of the law, like that's where that transition happens. But no, I think I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than I previously would have thought. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I still don't have a good read on that. Um, and actually, I mean, I don't know that the the couple of opinions I've read of these first couple of episodes is that generally I think people have been enjoying them, but the criticism has been that they are kind of taking their sweet time moving the story along, and that they they are in some way sort of dragging things out a bit. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that that's sort of been the general criticism I've heard. But I I guess I I kind of I kind of see your perspective on it too. Yeah. I mean, again, for season one, actually, are we on the third season now? Uh-huh. Or second? Uh, okay. Third, yeah. Yeah, and like for the first two, again, like there's been enough interesting stuff where I haven't felt that it's been too slow. But I guess now that I I completely thought I, uh, that this was the second season, maybe, maybe it has been longer <laughs> than I thought. But no, I fully, I fully enjoyed the first two, so. Yeah, no, I've, I I think the pace has been good, and I, I actually don't, I the thing I do maybe don't agree with, though, with you is I don't. I don't know how much of more of the show we're going to get after Saul becomes Saul. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I could see them continuing it. And I, I think maybe the only hint that we have of how many more seasons there could potentially be, or the kind of the best hint that we have is so consistent with the first two seasons at the beginning of this season, we got a little black and white vignette of, Saul kind of post Breaking Bad, um, and that that storyline seems like it still has a long way to go, which would kind of seem to be the best hint that there are at least a couple of more seasons left, because we're sort of left this season with that future scene having um, Saul just like basically pass out in the middle of the Cinnabon, and so that needs to resolve itself somehow. Well, so here's the thing that I don't understand with those is that, like, I understand that, like, that's supposed to be like a knowing nod to the people who watch Breaking Bad, just being like, well, here's this guy who's totally checked out and he just wants the world's most mundane, normal, normal life. And that happens to be operating a Cinnabon at a mall. But like, where, where does that end up? Because like the end of Better Call Saul has to be like, 
there's not going to be some like weird like time jump like TV gimmick that brings them into present day. Like how do you how do you align and and take into account this other television show that happened probably like covering eighteen to twenty four months like that. That's where those flash forwards have been interesting, but I don't necessarily see the end game for them with this particular show. Eh, maybe. I don't know. What What's the point of them, though, if they don't ultimately resolve themselves? And they're given a very prominent place in the show. Yeah, like, that's the thing. I just, like, because, unle- like, unless they do one of those, like, really terrible, like, just, like, two years later type things, like, I don't know where they... Because where did Breaking Bad end up in terms of Saul's position? They, we literally, the last that we saw of him was him getting the his new ID, and he 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 met with um, Walt in the like a basement somewhere, and then oh yeah, what he's doing like the relocation or like yeah. anything, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I'm I, that's still very up in the air. You know, and actually, a lot of what we've sort of been um, talking about has is has been there have been things I've been thinking about off the air, and all of it's been making me really want to rewatch Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's a big investment. Though. I know, and I'll, and you know, just rewatch the West Wing. <sighs> yeah, I could do that too. It'd be your uh, self care, isn't that a term that millenniums use? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. All right, so a good, uh, good first two episodes, and and we will try to keep up with um, a weekly brief discussion of it as as the season goes on. And again, you'll you'll throw in a a, a spoiler horn. Uh, I mean, I think I think we gave we gave adequate adequate warning. If if that's if if that's not enough, then I don't really know how else to help you. Uh, I just want to make extra editing work. <laughs> Um, again, a, a big, uh, big kudos to you for like five episodes ago, uh, five episodes ago of doing the, uh, the Corgi Barks. Uh, I was much, much longer than five episodes ago, but, but you're welcome. <laughs> okay. I, I got to tag these episodes better. Uh-huh. All right. You want to do picks of the week let's, or tell me about something you like? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so mine is actually a product that I've owned for well over a year now but i i was thinking about it and i have i'm i'm sure i have not done it um as a as a pick of the week um so it kind of a, an issue that um i had for a while was you know f- finding something that i could um listen to a podcast as i as i was falling asleep but with, without disturbing the, uh, the lady friend and um you know, I, I sort of use just like my regular wired headphones for a while and then try to use like some Bluetooth headphones for a while. And like nothing was 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 very comfortable. Um, and what I ultimately landed on was a product um, that I, th- I think I just kind of found randomly on on Amazon as I was searching for this kind of stuff is the acoustic sheep. Um, so if you search for that on Amazon, you'll, you'll find it pretty quick. And it's basically just like a little headband. They make a wired version, but I have the wireless version. Just, they're just Bluetooth and they've got little speakers, one for each ear, flat speakers on the inside. Um, they're by no means like the best sounding headphones or anything like that, but they're pretty darn comfortable, have really good battery life. Um, and are are sort of 
they're, they're sort of sort of great for for the particular use that I have. Oh man! Oh, so this this wow. Okay, so one they're called sleep phones. Yeah. Okay. Their they, logo they, is is yeah. well no they're they're acoustic sheep sleep phones which is which is a good tongue twister. Their logo is a sheep nodding off wearing a pair of over the ear headphones. Like wow, this is this is pretty cool. As long as nobody breaks in and sees you, like this is pretty good because <laughs> these do not look stylish at all. No, but. no, no, not at all. And also, this lady looks so pensive while she's sleeping next to her knocked out partner. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm on the uh, Amazon page. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, huh? So, how do you? Or this might be an unsolvable problem, but how do you compensate for the? Like, do you put a sleep timer on your podcast app of choice? Yes, so that you don't get too too far behind on a show when you want to start listening again in the morning. Exactly. Yep. Thirty thirty minute sleep timer. And and then these these presumably that there aren't any there's no no specific documentation around this in the manual but they from what I can tell must go into some type of like hibernation mode because if if I fall asleep before the sleep timer's up and if I wake up either in the middle of the night or in the morning the headphones will still be on if I haven't explicitly turned them off but. That can happen, you know, multiple nights, and I don't have to recharge them. And obviously, these things don't have like some crazy forty-eight hour battery life or something. So they're they're clearly going into some type of like sleep mode or something. They're recharging off your dreams. <laughs> maybe. Wait, maybe that's the answer to self-driving cars. Dream dream-powered vehicles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. Um, so yeah, I mean, these, I, I've, I've slept with these essentially every single night for the past year and a half or so. Um, and they're, they're pretty darn good. I again, the audio quality is not gonna, not gonna blow you away, but pretty darn comfortable. Um, and they, I mean, they, the big, the big thing that they allow you to do that really no other solution that I've previously tried did was they allow you to sleep, you know, equally comfortably on your back or on your sides. Um, because with a lot of headphones, like laying directly on the headphone is super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and with these, it's, it's not an issue at all. Do you have black, gray or lavender? I have black and I apparently have a big head because the the sizes that they offer are a medium, which Amazon describes as fitting most. <laughs> and then they have a large size, or I think they even just describe it as an extra large size. And I... When I originally bought this last year, had bought the medium size because hey, you know, fits most, and it was too small, and I ended up ended up returning that for the the larger size. So on the Amazon page, it allows you to get a dash button just to reorder these, which makes no sense. Wait, what? <laughs> I was looking at where it like on the right side of the Amazon product page, it says uh, add to your dash buttons. Oh, because you can. Oh, you can do the custom dash buttons now. That's right. That's a really weird product to suggest that for. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I'm. I'm not aware of hat sizing. So, uh, yeah. Interesting. No, I haven't known you'd have a very large head. Well, so I'm. So I am. I'm a seven and a half hat size. I know that. Um, which falls in the range of their medium size, which goes up to seven and. Actually, no. I guess it doesn't. I guess it's seven and three eighths. Is the yeah? This is coming back to me now. It's seven and three eighths for the medium, so I'm like just barely above that. Interesting. Do they charge more for the large one? 
I think it I think it was like ten dollars more, yeah. Capitalism. <laughs> All right. Oh cool. That's actually damn, but the thing is a hundred dollars is a is a tough impulse buy. It is. No, I and I I went a pretty good period of time where I'm like, nah, this is this is a dumb purchase. I shouldn't do this and eventually did and I've been been super happy with it. And I don't want to get too personal, but it, it, you never found a podcast or anything where uh, listening aloud is uh, acceptable. Um, I mean, no, actually, that's it's been been volunteered that I could, that I could do that with just using my iHome. But I, I, I feel I, I feel bad. That's so sweet. I know. That's so selfless. I know. Uh, <laughs> I get kind of self conscious with podcasts too, though. Like I don't, I don't. Like she's gonna say, like, ah, oh, goddamn it, another fucking Mac. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, you know what I kind of mean? Like, <laughs> po- po- like podcasts are kind of like weirdly personal. I don't know if that makes no, any too. Sense, like, but... and like, if and if you are laughing at some like weird in joke, you are like, this person's crazy, right? Yeah. That's that's part that's part of I think that's part of what makes our weekly program sort of successful. Is I, I in a lot of ways, especially with podcasts, you are kind of the only other person that has the same interests as I do. <laughs> And a lot of this stuff, so. Oh, okay. This, this, this is getting very. Uh, You're getting very sappy. Mo- moving on. Yeah. We're like uh, we're like Gus and Mike here. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah. Okay. My pick of the week. Um. Yeah. Mine. This mine is not that uh, foundational product, but um, I will send you a link to it. So this is very utilitarian because I'm I'm re uh, slowly re. Um, redecorating and restocking my um my apartment so this uh my pick of the week is called the capuche knife block so it is a uh, place to store your uh kitchen knives that has no predefined slots and you just stick them in and it holds them securely and um uh hygienically huh it's pretty great because I have uh, a set of um, well, this is maybe a side pick of the week, but uh, it's uh, the company is called Puro Komachi, and they are these uh, brightly colored, lightweight but incredibly sharp and and very very good knives, and I enjoy them. And as a upcoming restaurateur, um, <laughs> I needed a place to store them that wasn't just in a drawer. So no, this this knife block is fantastic. Huh, interesting. Yeah, a very a very non T word uh recommendation, but I like it. How did you come across this? Was this like a sweet home thing? No, this was I was just uh browsing Bed Bath and Beyond as as middle aged people do. <laughs> sure. And and I saw this there it on an end cap and I'm like, Oh, okay. Money well spent people and then I bought it. I have the bamboo one. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to resist the urge of buying the uh oxo or oxo version of absolutely everything for the kitchen they make great stuff but it, it gets pricey if you if you do yeah and they're they're a very um, popular pick on the sweet home for a lot of different categories and yeah they're they they really do fall like in they're they're kind of like made for the sweet home where they're certainly not like the most expensive and they're definitely not the cheapest they sort of fall in like that middle ground which this the sweet home and the wire cutter really give a lot of credence to as they come up with their pick but yeah if you buy a lot of their different stuff it, it does add up a tertiary pick related to this is uh the store called home goods 
they they are the like TJ Maxx of like household items, and you can find some pretty good uh, some pretty good stuff there on the cheap. So that's my uh, Martha Stewart corner. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Till next week. Make sure you do your homework. Watch Better Call Saul. Mondays at ten on AMC. Until next week. Until next week. <laughs>